All of this I want us to know and understand is important. Paul does this in all of his epistles. He builds the strength of the body first before he begins to deal with other issues. People of God, you cannot escape the fact that you are in relationship to one another just as much as I can't escape from my own biological brothers. They are my brothers. I might not like them. I might not want to spend time with them. I might be acting in all those ways, but it doesn't change the fact that they're my brothers. And every one of us sitting in this room, every eternal being in this room, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we must understand that, that we are inseparable because of God's sovereign work in Christ. It wasn't your work that determined we would be together in this room. It was God's work. And we are all raised together with Christ as co-regents. Last week we were reminded in Ephesians 4, 17 of the futility of our minds. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in their futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart. And what was the remedy to that? Being renewed in the mind. And he says in in chapter 4, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God, true righteousness and holiness. And of course, we learned last week that having our minds renewed, engaging in the scriptures, calls us to action. In Ephesians 5, verse 26, we were told, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We know that this is a quote from Psalm 8, and it teaches us to take our grievances to God in prayer. Do not respond to the accuser or offender, but rather keep your mouth shut. Our natural desire is to hit back and respond with our tongues. In this, we give the devil a foothold to divide the church, the people of God. We are not to run the risk of bearing false witness against us our brothers and sisters, but rather we are to take our complaints to God in our nightly prayers and not to others. And then, and this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, if we do all that, trust God to resolve it. And be joyful and full of gladness that God is in fact handling it. We also saw that in Ephesians 4.30 that we can do all this because we've been sealed for the day of redemption. And we're reminded, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And again, there's admonitions with which we are to take action. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. We're not to be bitter. And of course, it's always the challenge because bitterness comes when we take offense from those to whom we have expectations. We get upset when someone does something to us that we don't expect. And of course, 
This usually hope happens in our closest relationships, our spouses, parents, children, and close friends. And then we get the admonition, let no one deceive you with empty words. And in verse 7 of chapter 5, and this is important because this is the lead-in to where we come to today. And therefore, do not be partakers with them. People of God, frequently our life, our way of life, is to be suspicious of those deceivers over there. You know, those people. I know that I shouldn't throw my lot in with them, because, you know, it's those people. However, we partake in deceptions all the time. We adopt our own ways of solving bitterness and all kinds of sin, living as if God's plan for transforming people, governments, powers, and the cosmos is simply just not adequate. We live in the idolatry of self-deception. We comfort ourselves as partakers in our own efforts to construct our own towers of transforming ourselves and the world. And of course, we, we heard a number of supporting verses from 1 Corinthians and Job and from Psalms warning us not to be wise in our own eyes, but believe God and His truth. And we go from all these warnings to our passage today about darkness and light. Let us hear the first several verses from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now this is really interesting he didn't say you were once in darkness. He said you were darkness. But now we are light in the Lord and that we are children of light. I think if we're going to think about this, we need to understand what is darkness and light according to the scriptures. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. In our very beginnings, we are without form. We are void. Our thoughts are futile. They have no good structure, nor any good foundation. We see in Luke chapter 6, when it's speaking of men and how to live, Luke 6, 48, He is like a man building a house who dug a deep and laid the foundation on rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man on whose house the earth, excuse me, who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When we try to build our own solutions, when we try to deal with the problems of relationships, in any other way than the way God instructs us, we are doing it in a futile way, and it is not on the foundation that will bring results. This is important. We also see, as we consider light and dark, 
that the Spirit of God, this is back in Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now darkness there in Genesis chapter 1 is not bad. It's just inferior to the light. God makes a distinction so we are instructed in the symbolism of light and darkness. In Genesis 1.14, it says this, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night. And what? To divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. What was good? The light. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. People of God, we know that... that we are to take dominion in the world, that we are to evangelize the world. But we need to understand something. Darkness does not share dominion. Light shares dominion. Now, this is, this is an important concept. Nobody goes out, well, we'll say this, in times past, no one went out and plowed in the dark, in the nighttime. Because they're, they'd have been looking like this. They couldn't see what they were doing. If we are to work, we are to do it in the light. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, if you've ever been to a place where they, they do farming today, you know, you see big John Deere harvesters out there. And what have they done? They've created their own artificial lights. There's these huge racks of lights off the front of the harvesters and tractors so that they can see. They know they can't do the work in the dark. They'll make mistakes. They'll be waste. They'll, frankly, be destruction. Darkness does not share dominion. But in the light, we can work in the light. We can do the work. We can build in the light. When we're in the dark, I'm going to say the obvious, you're in the dark. When you turn the light on, what happens to the darkness? It's just not there anymore. It's gone. This is important. We'll follow up with that thought in just a moment. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and what? The light of men. And the light shines where? In the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. We also see in reference to Christ in John 3, verse 19, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved what? The darkness, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, 
they have been done in God. We also see that Jesus himself speaks to us as his people in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, where it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We as Christians, we reflect the light of Christ. We act as priests of God to the world. Think of the passages that we know in Numbers chapter 6, where you receive the blessing. And it says this, And Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. It is shining his light. And then we also see in Psalm 67 where he tells us that he will make his face to shine upon us, that his way may be known on all the earth, and that God's salvation will be known among all the nations. Now this is important. Christ is the light. We are the reflections. Think back in the beginning. A greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. We are reflections. Jesus is the sun providing the light. We are reflecting the light and we are ruling And what right now seems like absolute darkness. You turn on your TV news, if all you had was the news and no gospel of Jesus Christ, it would seem absolutely hopeless and that the darkness is overwhelming. Not in Christ. Not in Christ. And of course, it says back in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But in all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is the light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now this is really interesting. He goes from telling us that we were darkness, now we are light, that we are to, uh, in fact, um, I want to read that to you again real quick here because I think it's important that he says this. He says, walk as children of the light for the fruit of the Spirit, and, and this is also understood as light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now that's important. Remember that. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he tells us not to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. We, we've lived in a very interesting time, at least for the first time in my lifetime. Every conspiracy that we have imagined, that people have written books about, that people have talked about the future, it seems like they've all come true. Somebody needs to write new conspiracies because all my old ones are used up. And in fact, a lot of times we feel like we have to expose all the conspiracies. That's our job. We need to be very careful because we can spend all our time working on the conspiracies and forget that we are to be about righteousness, goodness, and truth. 
we try to focus on doing things and consuming our time and building things to expose everything. We need to be careful not to spend our time using up all our time trying to expose the conspiracies. We frequently believe that if we could uncover the conspiracies of the powers and principalities and the leaders of the world around us, that they'd be defeated. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out? I mean, have you come across clear things that look like evidence that ought to change the world's mind about any of the things that have been going on? Let's all be honest. Yep, we've come across things. You telling other people, how is that working out to change their mind about things? It's not. If you consider the last hundred years of the exposure of all the conspiracies, of all the lies that have gone on about the controllers of nations, has this brought about change? It was very interesting, as I considered this passage, I considered the conversion of Chuck Colson. And many of you might not remember or even know who he is. He's got a fascinating book called Born Again, and it really talks about exposing conspiracies. Okay, he, he was a special advisor to, pre, to a president, President Nixon, and he comes to know Christ and is totally transforming and it's totally amazing, that story. Pick up the book. But it was not the fact that things were being exposed that brought about change. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his people living in righteousness, goodness, and truth. The problem is we don't believe that God brings down things in small ways. Remember, Ephesians 5.9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit, that's light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We are the children of light. We reflect God when we shine righteousness, goodness, and truth. It changes us first, and then God's light shines, and the exposed convert or they flee into the shadows of darkness. In our own thinking, we don't believe this is true. We have a tendency to see things and say, well, we're not going to win this battle doing this. We need to do it this way. It's not about righteousness, goodness, and truth and living in our everyday lives in this way. But that is not what the scriptures teach us. Think about the size of Goliath, big and mighty man. And a little young man. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, it says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Listen to what Saul says. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of great war since he was a youth. Right? The people around him said, You're not going to do this. Right? You can't defeat him. God's not going to defeat him. We can't go out there. And I'm not going out there. I, I don't want to send you. But I tell you what, if you want to go out there, how about this? What if we put my armor on you? 
Right? They're concocting other ways instead of saying, we're going to believe God for deliverance by simply doing the things he said, by standing up and saying, you're not going to profane the name of God. No. What happened? Goliath was defeated by a young man, his slingshot, and even though he went and got five stones, he only used one. Right? Scriptures only say he took the one stone out, threw it, and hit him. It kills him. Right? We see this very same lesson with Gideon. Right? Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh, so Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, Remember, God was dealing with the idolatry that was in the lives of the people of Israel and he brought hardship upon them. Where was deliverance found? We see that Gideon is instructed by God to do this, to go in and to chop down the idol that was in his town. And he said, Go and build an altar, this is God speaking, to Yahweh your God on the top of this rock in proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. What happened? God was saying, you guys are idolatrous. I'm bringing difficulty upon you. And what does he do? The transformation happens when Gideon cuts down the idol in his own town, in his own life, and the people around him, and then he takes and he worships God. And then God uses him again with just 300 men. And how many Amalekites were there? And Midianites? Judges 7.12 says, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. God uses him with just a handful of people in comparison I've seen, I've seen, not locusts, but I've seen like hordes of, of grasshoppers moving through an area. I can't imagine. And if their camels, which are carrying each one, were without number, there was a lot of Midianites and Amalekites out there. And God uses 300 little weak men, and they didn't even use swords for crying out loud. What'd they do? They blew a trumpet and... You know, had a light, right? That's what they did. The little things. What about this? What about the work of Jesus Christ himself? Jesus didn't come as everyone would think a king ought to come. Jesus didn't save the world the way everyone thought that, that the world would be delivered. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For since the wisdom of God... The world, through wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God through the what? Foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus, people of God, crushed the head of the serpent by obedience to God and sacrificially living and dying for the benefit of all Christians. Foolishness to some and a stumbling block 
to others who had their own solutions for deliverance. I, I think this is really important for us to grapple with. We look for all kinds of ways for, of deliverance, of transformation. And we need to recognize that God says righteousness, which comes from Christ, goodness, which comes from belief in doing the things that Christ says, and truth, speaking God's word. That's how the world is transformed. And oftentimes, we say, oh, it's got to be more than that. Many of you guys may have read uh, Herbert Schlossberg's book, Idols for Destruction. He says this, the Bible can be interpreted as a string of God's triumphs disguised as disasters. We need to understand that God is moving his providential plan through what seems disasters and provides deliverance in ways that the only explanation is God's deliverance. This is not man's strength in any way. So the truth is that we are then to understand the opportunity to transform the world through the mundane, through the things that you do every single day. You should be doing them in righteousness, goodness, and truth. So Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, goes on and tells us this. See then that you walk circumspectly, that is, exactly, accurately, diligently. How are we going to walk in this way? Reflecting God in righteousness, goodness, and truth. And he says, you're going to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That is, dominion recovered by reflecting the light of Christ. We're going to redeem this time. Why? Because the days are evil. Are evil. That is to say, they're evil, and, and this word evil here is full of labors and annoyances and hardship. And even the wicked. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand. That is, consider what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? To live in righteousness, goodness, and truth, reflecting the light of Jesus Christ into our lives and the people around us, and it brings transformation. But we don't want to believe it. We've got to have tactics. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. We, but we need to look and see, what does God say? In this case, it's three small stones. It's important, though, a lot of times we get caught up in the emotion. and We need to look for stability. So we see in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now this word dissipation, where it says don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, this is about living in abandon and a dissolute life. You see, we need to recognize that what he's talking about here, he's not saying don't drink, but he says don't be drunk. Don't look for a way through drunkenness, getting high, or even given to addictions with anything. And here's the thing, seeking to create an artificial emotional stimulation. What we're doing is people are saying, 
I, I need to find another way to deal with the world. I'm going to create an artificial way through drinking, smoking something, taking something, looking at certain things, creating artificial emotional stimulation. When we seek to stimulate ourselves this way, we are seeking idolatrous distractions in our pleasures, which produces no maturity and is completely unstable. Conversely, we should be filled with the Spirit. And how is that done? What's his response? In verse 19, he says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. People of God, we need to become a singing people. Absolutely, a singing people. Singing the psalms. Knowing, speaking, and singing the psalms reorients our minds and our actions. We declare God and His Son's authority over all things by speaking and singing the psalms. In the psalms, we find forgiveness, redemption, and instruction on how to live life. And in it, we find the God of hope and victory. Now listen. We live in a world that, that isn't singing anymore. We have the great technological advantage to listen to stuff. You know, I remember when, you know, many of you may remember when radio first became a thing. You had inst just instruments or people singing, and then there was radio, and then there was, my goodness, you could, you could uh, record something. There was TV. There were, there were records, there were things that we could do. And now today, we have little devices we can carry around where we can find music we have never even imagined. And we can remember some stuff from the olden days too, right? But, but in all of that, people used to sing. They'd go, to a, they'd go to a place, they'd bring out the beer at the tavern, and people would sing. And remember, the tavern was the family restaurant, right? You know, this isn't the bar that we perceive it today. But people would sing. People would go to church sing. People would work to sing. You know what we do instead of singing when we work today? What do we do? Turn on music. We might be listening. It becomes in and not out. Now, there can be some use of, of taking it in. But I want to encourage you, in your homes, with your wives, with your husbands, with your children, with your family, when people come over, sing and sing the psalms. When you work, sing the psalms. You know, our kids are, are such wonderful teachers to us in this way. What happens? Right? They like a song, and what do they do? If, it's, if, if they're playing it, what do they do? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over, over again. Right? And if, the joyous thing is we can teach them to sing things, and then what do they do? They sing the same thing over and over and over again. They're hiding God's word in their heart through song. But people of God, this brings us maturity because it reminds us of the truths of God's word. It brings stability. It, re it, it creates that firm foundation. This is how we are to encourage one another. You know, we, we need to understand that all of this brings us to this. That we are, as it says in Ephesians 5.20, we are to be giving thanks always 
for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of God. We glorify God with a grateful heart, lived out in trust in the sacrificial work of Christ. We trust in God to complete the good work in us that we may likewise live sacrificially towards others by reflecting the light of Christ. And you said, Pastor Dan, you were going to talk about doing stuff in the mundane, the stuff we do every day. Well, that's next week. This is really important here. We come into this place, and right now we are doing, we are worshiping the Almighty. We are being instructed in Him. We've been um, lifted up into the heavenlies. Our prayers, again, I remind you all the time, our prayers are, are being submitted to God the Father in His presence. We are doing combat and defeating the enemy, right? And then we're going to go out, and you need to go from here with God's blessing and take His light. When you get the blessing today, I want you to think about that. You are taking His light, and you are reflecting it into the world. And next week, the connection to all of this is you're going to live that out where? Husbands, wives, parents, workers, employers, in all of that, in complexity. But it comes back to how do you do that? Goodness, righteous, righteousness, goodness, and truth reflect God's light. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we face a world of evil and turmoil, we rejoice that the government is upon your shoulders and that it is your judgment, not the judgment of evil judges and bureaucrats, which shall prevail. Please grant us by your grace to be reflections of the light found in your Son, Jesus. Give us grace to walk in this faith and with holy boldness, knowing that greater is he that is within us than um, is he that is in the world. Strengthen us now by your word and by the Spirit. Make us zealous in your service. In Jesus' name.